Welcome back to The Reboot Show. I'm your host, Sally A. Illingworth, and I'm excited to be joined today by Complex Project Advisor, Alicia Aitken, NextDC's Chief Customer and Commercial Officer, David Gentil, and our resident technology panelist, Luke Stowe. During this panel discussion today, we're going to be exploring how financial services organizations can achieve faster, safely. And importantly, our panelists will be unpacking the most effective ways to achieve growth through agility and infrastructure, preserve the reputation of your information and interactions, ensure security of critical infrastructure and data, achieve consistent speed to market, optimize cost and resources, and importantly, achieve continuity of compliance. So there's certainly a lot for us to be covering today and thank you very much to our panellists for joining us. For the audience, please use the Q&A box to submit your questions for our panellists throughout the discussion. To kick off, Alicia, it'd be great to hear from you on your views on the current state of Australia's financial services industry, particularly in terms of the opportunities and challenges that we're seeing. Look, I think uh, the financial services industry is like every other industry. The challenge that we're facing is how do we meet our customers where they're at in terms of products and services that they want and then keep up with their changing and evolving uh, needs? And that for us is it's both an opportunity and a challenge. And so how do you do that faster and safely uh, is, is a question I ask myself all the time. And so for us, it's about how do we get products developed tested in market out with our customers um, while also maintaining that really robust security that we've always had in the banking system. And Luke, considering Alicia's insights in relation to the need for speed to market whilst ensuring that everything is secure, as Alicia highlighted, what pressure is this placing on technology decision makers? And importantly, what's the role of business leaders here? Yeah, well, I think that's a really uh, important part of this conversation, Sally, is that that look, organisations in the financial services industry are facing un unprecedented pressure. You know, what we're seeing is small startups become big players in the market through innovation. We've seen digital capabilities really launch and platform businesses into uh, extremely great growth. And, and the reason for that has been because of their, um, you know, their understanding about how digital infrastructure is going to play a role in helping them meet their ambitions. So what, what I think I'm seeing within those organisations or the industry is that there's never been a more important time for the technology uh, people within those environments to be making sure the business leaders understand these type of capabilities. So now just to extrapolate that out a bit, we used to say that applications were really the important focus from a business point of view. But business people really need to understand what's going on in the factory. So infrastructure and the scalability of infrastructure, the connectivity and the security of this is really quite important for the business to understand as they start to make strategic plans and think about how they're going to compete and win with consumers, members, investment members, whatever it may be. So my, my view is that pressure is really um, placing um, a real ask on the technology leaders to ensure business are understanding and infrastructure side by side with applications when they're talking about, and data, when they're talking about strategic plans. I think that's going to be really critical as we start to move forward uh, past 2021 with more digital uh, type of capability coming to this marketplace. Yeah, I think you really highlight that there is an importance. It's almost a cultural change that's potentially required in terms of ensuring the technology people and the business people are having the, the discussions they need to be having. And you've also highlighted that there is definitely growing pressure on decision makers, both technology um, 
and business to, to scale and double down on innovation and agility. But this does create added pressure, um, particularly because we can't ignore the importance of managing and balancing risk given the highly regulated and sensitive nature of financial services. So, David, from your experience, what are NextDC's financial services customers doing to enable them to maintain a strong focus on innovation and creating value for their customers without losing sight of important things such as their overall security and risk posture? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing as a general trend uh, within financial services, but fundamentally across associate industries as well, is a strong shift to the hybrid cloud. And it's, it's a term being you know, thrown around quite a lot. Uh, I think we're seeing that shift because it really provides resilience and speed and it allows organisations to get new products to market much, much quicker. And at the same time, there are a lot of, we're seeing certainly a significant amount of in-services company leveraging uh, third-party co-location facilities to help them unlock capital that may be tied up in data centres or properties that are owned by financial services organisations that probably invested in them many, many years ago. And when you think about unlocking a lot of capital, it's quite an interesting dynamic because it, you know, it allows uh, companies to take that capital and put it back into, you know, customers and new products and services. So what we're seeing is enterprises are building, I guess, their own value streams through taking that capital, unlocking it, putting it back into products. We're certainly seeing a very strong trend, and that is no company we talk to is building their own data set anymore. It's one of those things that's way in the past. And it's not because they don't have the skills or they can't build it through compliance and so on. It's because you can't scale your own to the requirements that you're going to need to the future. And the co-location, I guess, environment has been a really big building block to enable organisations to take that, couple it with the public cloud to really deliver that innovative hybrid cloud solution. And what we're really seeing that's interesting is some of the key pillars that organisations think about, like sustainability and fast connectivity and capacity planning, you can actually deliver on those in a partnership way with organisations like NextDC. And Alicia, you've got extensive experience in, in complex project advisory, and I can imagine potentially for some uh, leaders and decision makers within the financial services industry, hearing things like hybrid cloud and co-location, it creates maybe a little bit of discomfort and fear potentially. Um, so what are your views on the best ways to balance risk to get ahead of the game? Inherent risk in every complex project. So for me, it's not about avoiding risk. It's about meeting it head on, um, eyes wide open and making data-driven decisions wherever possible um, when you're managing risks. And so for me, although data can't be the only input, um, neither can human judgment. And, and you mentioned it earlier around this cultural change. There've been countless studies um, showing that we are flawed as humans when it comes to making decisions. We are incredibly biased um, and relying on our instinct when it comes to risk, I think is really dangerous. And hence why I'm such a big proponent of data-driven decision-making. Um, because one, one of our fears in particular is that is change. And, you know, going from the old way of doing things, and David said, you know, we, we're all good at building data centres. We're all comfortable with how we've done it in the past and we bias our decisions on on risk 
about whether we're maintaining that known state or we're trying something new and often to the detriment of the solution we put in place. So for me, it's about heading, heading into risks, eyes wide open, really trying to use data to drive our decision making to complement our, our judgment. Yeah, I love that you highlight that there's always risk involved in some way, shape or form. And Luke, just quickly, I know you're very passionate about the conversation in relation to, to mindset, particularly when it comes to technology within businesses. Did you have any thoughts you wanted to add around what Alicia's highlighting? Oh, look, I think that, yeah, look, when it comes down to uh, the real bare bones of it, it's about people and it's about making sure that that mindset is really quite clear. Um I think this is where, uh, you know, planning comes into play and making sure that everyone's really clear about the strategic direction and how they can give input into it. I I think, you know, particularly infrastructure, people within organisations, and again, it's across most industries, usually sitting in sort of the back of the IT department and waiting for someone to come along and give them an order, which is due yesterday, and they need to uh, supply today. And they're not at the, at the front where basically they can add the most value to these conversations. And, you know, time and time again, I've seen this happen with projects coming through where, um, you know, the, the requirement for infrastructure is tomorrow and, and it's the first that the, the team have heard about it. So it comes to empowering people and I think mindsets need to be shared across groups. And, um, you know, in my mind, people are the last frontier of technology and uh, it's really important that they're engaged. So it's important to engage them, but as Alicia highlighted, making sure that we uh, try to overcome bias where possible so it doesn't uh, work to the detriment of the decisions we make. Now, another important part of this conversation is is legacy systems and applications, as generally these do remain quite integral to core financial operations. So, David, I'm interested to hear your thoughts around legacy applications. And, And in your view, do you see legacy acting as potentially an anchor of sorts impacting the speed to market? Um, for organisations as they seek to progress their transformation strategies? Yeah, I think um, I, I think back to conversations that I had a decade ago where people said the mainframe is dead, tape is going away, the cloud will solve all problems and uh, lo and behold, one of the ironic things that I see daily when I'm in one of our facilities is humans coming to pick up tapes to take those tapes off site. And so whilst that seems like a mundane task, it continues to solidify the reality that there is enormous amount of legacy and legacy value still in data centres, be it next DCs or financial services, their own data centres. And ironically, um, the mainframe is not dead at all. What's actually happening in some spaces is those legacy systems are being sold in a very common way today, and that is as a service. If you talk to the large supercomputer um, manufacturers and providers of service, they're taking a supercomputer model that used to be sold as a large capital investment and selling it as a service. I think when it comes to legacy, the hope or wish that I think some providers believe that it's all going away very rapidly is not what we're seeing. Particularly with financial services organisations, we are seeing a trend where, A, they want to sweat those assets as best they can because that's driving long-term value. B, even when um, the, the applications could be progressively moved to the cloud, 
if there is value in keeping them on those mid-range legacy platforms, we're seeing the trend to even refresh that technology. And then finally, what we're seeing is a lot of time and investment is let's keep that legacy going. Let's move it into a more cost-effective co-location environment and let's put our eyes on back to that hybrid cloud discussion around where those new services are that we can drive more value with our customers. Mm. It's a little bit of that back end and front end. And one interesting trend that we're seeing back to one of the points Luke just made is that cultural change. If you go into the, the, the sort of IT departments of most in services organizations, one of the challenges that executives have to deal with is you've got a mid-range team and a cloud team and trying to get those teams to come together and agree on the long-term strategy for the organization can be tricky because you're coming at it from very two different perspectives. But we have seen it work very well. We've seen financial services deploy rapid services through hybrid clouds, and, and we believe that is certainly the way of the future. And Luke, Luke, what are your thoughts on this, particularly given your 30-plus your years experience as a CIO? What are your thoughts on the conversation relating to legacy um, and, you know, the potential urge to want to hug legacy? So in, in addition to what David's saying, can, can organisations potentially have the best of both worlds, have a bit of legacy and a bit of new? Well, I'm first trying to just get my head around hugging some of those bits of infrastructure. I, I sort of get the analogy. But, uh, look, I was in a... You know, little story, I was in a manufacturing um, uh, business uh, last week and one of the um, rooms I walked into was their actual small data centre and uh, I couldn't hug it because there were too many spider webs all over it. So sometimes I, I sort of think about this, that businesses get the sort of the technology they deserve. So I think one of those points that's being made by David is, you know, the cultural and mindset, but also, you know, why try and do this yourself? If, it's, if you're not really interested in doing it and you're not really interested in doing it properly, when you've got these purpose-built facilities available to you to utilise, it's like, you know, living in an old uh, garage that's cluttered and you've got nothing, uh, you know, set up, everything's on the floor and it's a mess compared to a nice, neat, clean environment that you can, you know, work in. So I think what, what I sort of get out of that conversation is that um, organisations won't have to let go of all their legacy. There's some legacy that is really important to them. And, um, you know, we know that in Australia, for example, there is uh, a regulation and a compliance aspect to this that means organisations do need to keep some things on, on premise. You know, but there's a, there's a mixture of things that are available to them. And it's really about then making a plan about what are we, what are we going to do here and how are we going to leverage the capability of others to do it? And, and a mindset that I have particularly in this modern era of technology, is that I can't be successful without the help and support of others. And I think that's a really powerful mindset because what it means is when am I going to let go of trying to make innovation through my own team and when's it the right time for me to ask partners to come to the table to help me with that innovation, particularly ones that have already been doing it in the space for a period of time. It just helps you uplift your own capability and helps you get to the place you want to get to faster. So for me, this is a, a really important um, part of the conversation that, that businesses are challenging themselves and saying, well, what do we want to be doing ourselves and what's important to us? And then what do we want to partner? And then choosing the right partner 
uh, is going to be really important in making sure strategic plans and the way we move forward is really clear to our people. So, yeah, look, I, I think uh, it's going to be horses for courses in terms of each organisation will have to do their own plan. It's not one shoe fits all, but there really is a great option available for digital infrastructure uh, that's not cloud. And I'll talk about that maybe a little bit later when uh, the topic arises. But, um, yeah, I think that that's, uh, a, a, you know, an open conversation for organisations right now. You know what, I would also just throw in something interesting is there is a major skills shortage uh, in some of the areas that we've been discussing. And one of the most common patterns we're seeing today when it comes to partnering is, again, showing maybe the age of it, but 10, 20 years ago, we would see an organisation, a bank, go to a big, large systems integrator and say, do all of this for me. And we're certainly seeing much more selective engagement, but really specific engagement with multiple partners because there is a lot more flexibility in this new world. And so whether it's the platform decision or the approach in a third party providing those services, you're kind of going for the skills versus the company. And we're certainly seeing that, you know, the, the days of 10-year contracts to deliver big sets of services, they're gone. You know, I'm talking to large SIs that are moving down into medium-sized businesses in the fin services space and equally talking to very niche companies that have 20, 30, 50 people in Australia and they're talking to the largest companies and banks in Australia. So I think it's a really interesting time and they're actually attracting really talented people, which I think is, you know, a great opportunity for our customers. And I think, you know, this leads into a really good conversation, thinking about talent and the word you use, Luke, challenges. And from what I understand, I think fintech startups probably don't have to think about legacy as much as traditional and, and larger sort of financial services organisations. But in saying that, it is important that we acknowledge um, the pressure that fintech startups are putting on more traditional and larger financial services players. Um, and Alicia, in your views, you've got extensive experience, not only across financial services, but just technology more broadly and complex project management. In your view, are there any particular competitive advantages that traditional and or you know, larger financial services organisations may have that they could potentially seek to leverage, especially when it comes to their digital infrastructure? I think it's the same across any industry. But at, and I get that some people feel that fintechs are introducing pressure. Uh, but I prefer to think of it as what are the opportunities that they're bringing? Um, I've never been a fan of the word or. Um, compromise is not one of my strong suits. I've always preferred the word and. So if I can have both of anything, I will choose both. Um, and so, you know, if you can grow and evolve the capabilities, products and services available to customers in any industry and do it safely, then we're all winners in the end, right? So, you know, in the case of financial services, a lot of the advantages on both sides are about scale. Uh, so fintechs are small, they can move at lightning speed, they can incubate, accelerate and, and test in market where only a few customers are going to be impacted. Whereas the established players, you know, they've got scale and they can take great ideas and improve the lives of lots of people uh, with new services, products, technologies. And so for me, it's the whole fintech conversation. It just feels like a great opportunity to use the word and uh, rather than or. 
And so thinking about using the word and Alicia, does that sort of lead into your, your leadership and your thoughts around optionality? Absolutely. Um, whenever you're coming up with uh, a solution or an investment request, for me, it is all about optionality. There is no one right solution anymore. And putting one idea on the table always makes me suspicious um, because there's so many combinations and permutations that could get us to a better outcome if people haven't explored them all. And to David's comments, you know, about there's going to be legacy, there's going to be hybrid cloud, there's going to be public cloud. If we're not thinking about all of the different combinations and who's best to deliver them, is it us? Is it a partner? You know, is it some kind of combination? Those are the things that I, the conversations that I really want to hear happen and be put on the table. I love that. And Luke, that feeds into what you're referencing around, you know, it's, it's no longer about just thinking about how can we do this ourselves. It's about thinking about, you know, strategic partners. Um, David, David, where does NextDC sit within this conversation of supporting financial services organisations with potentially embedding optionality into their core operations? Look, I think like probably um, the rest of the industry, we believe that one of the greatest benefits of the cloud, just at a high level, is choice. And the ability to provide choice is kind of similar to where we were with mid-range systems years ago, but there's a, a kind of really unique difference, and that is that these platforms are super agile and it's ironic because there's, you know, a lot of announcements come out where large financial services say, we have just announced a major partnership with insert large cloud provider. And it's very common to see the next day, we're also announcing our major announcement with insert large global cloud provider. And it's less about the platform and the, and the infrastructure and it's becoming about what are they going to do for their customers? Is it, you know, customer intelligence? Is it AI? Is it faster service? Is it more security? And it could be all of those things. So it's really allowing customers to scale that optionality, but it's also allowing them to not feel locked in. And I think, again, historically, technology was actually all about safety, security, and locking into a really stable solution. I think we've come to a place where the technology is so, you know, strong and so robust. It's actually about value, and the value also drives that optionality and choice. And we certainly speak to a, a lot of organisations, but when we think about financial services, they want comfort that the platforms can do what they need to do. They too want optionality. They want choice. They don't want to be locked in. They're not signing those decade-long contracts. It's potentially a one-year only, and we want the ability to move on to another platform or even potentially run multiple platforms in different locations. So we're certainly seeing that continue, both at the infrastructure or platform level, but also at the software-as-a-service level. I will add that what will be interesting to watch is if we could fast-forward five to 10 years to really try and get a hold of what we're starting to hear about, which is community clouds and how will, you know, organisations think about the data and the information over the long term. And that's a, it's an unknown. I don't have the, the answer, but we're certainly starting to hear conversations emerge in that topic. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, thinking about your experience, Luke, in, in buying and selling technology, what are your views on how financial services organisations can potentially try and leverage, you know, optionality um, and to use Alicia's word, combinations and choice? Yeah, I, I loved both David and Alicia's points there. I think, um, you know, we're sort of getting to the clearer part of the conversation where it is about optionality and it is about choice. And I think it's really important when you're thinking through that to say, well, who has the expertise to be able to help us through in discussing who, what's the best options for us as an organisation? Yes, internal capability uh, uh, should be the ones engaged and they should be the ones that are bringing these type of conversations to the actual business to say, well, these are the options that you've got. I think when we think about cloud, we, we often get fascinated by the big brands and then try and do something internally. I refer to this as sort of experiment, experimentation because what, what I see happening is people are learning on the job. You know, you've got the manual in one hand, which says this is how you uh, configure a new um, cloud service. Uh, and while you're reading that manual, you're actually doing your job. Um, that's not really helping anyone because what happens is mistakes occur and, and people really don't drive the outcomes that are being looked at. Not to say cloud doesn't have its place, but what I am saying is uh, getting uh, digital infrastructure advice from, from people who've been in that industry for a number of years, have got the facilities, have got the capability, the connectivity and the security and also the compliance and being able to have those conversations straight away um, in a meaningful way with business is going to be what differentiates, I think, between success and failure in projects. And, you know, we all, we all know that we change our organisation from project to project. This is the way we do things these days. They're usually short and sharp these days. Um, we have little time to execute them. We have a finite amount of resources. So we need to make sure we do those well. Um, to David's point, uh, gone are the days when we experiment over 10-year programs and we sort of, you know, throw hundreds, hundreds of billions of uh, millions of dollars at it and, um, you know, find that it never ends and we just keep throwing money at it. Uh, people want quicker results and they want um, some certainty in those conversations. So it's really important that we do have the ability to be able to get draw on the expertise when we need it. Um, What's interesting, and, I haven't heard the words proof of concept for years. You, you don't go and buy a bunch of tech and do a proof of concept. People are doing pilots with a subset of a customer base very rapidly, do the research, does it work, get the product out. Years ago, people would say, we're going to buy all this kit, the cost of my proof of concept of X, if that works, I'll write a business case and blah, that's gone. Uh, we, we're not seeing that anywhere across every segment. And what are your views on that, Alicia, in terms of how, you know, people across technology, in particular in financial services, are potentially embracing new ways of executing on proof of concepts? Um, look, I absolutely agree. We, we don't do um, proof of concepts in the old way that, that used to happen. And so in the new way, it really is about having an idea, getting it to a subset of your customers quickly, testing it with them to find out what works for them and what doesn't rather than keep it in-house, try to think about what the customer might have wanted uh, and then, you know, engage a full-blown project two years later, put something in market. That just doesn't happen anymore. And I love how you referenced testing with the customers. Luke, I know you're very passionate about 
the consumers are in control, they are dictating everything. What, what are your views on that and experimenting directly with customers instead of maybe tr more traditional approaches where the organisations could get away with sort of dictating to the market what was going to happen? Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think knowing what your customers want is a really important um, feature of today's business world. I mean, what we're seeing, you know, we discussed it earlier today, some startups that have become quite big in the financial services space saw a gap, spoke to customers, understood what they were after, and then launched competitive products. And I think what that tells me is that, you know, people who are listening to what consumers want, um, you know, can drive a very good uh, business opportunity. And so being able to do the same with your technology in terms of, you know, if you, if you take the early Google mindset of we'll put an application out and if it works, we'll keep it out there. But if it doesn't work, we will just pull it uh, off the shelf and we will either do some work to it to remedy it, to make it um, fit what the, our customers want, or we'll just delete it because it's not important. Our customers don't find it beneficial to them. So when you, when you think about delivering value, to your consumers, members, investment members, whatever that may be from a financial point of view, it's really important to understand what, what your customers are after and how they want to experience um, uh, the work that you do with them. So I think one of the, the key things that all three of you are highlighting here is the importance of, if I can use the word, modernising how we engage different stakeholder, stakeholder cohorts throughout these important conversations, whether it's, you know, it's providers, business, technology leaders within the business, uh, customers, et cetera. Um, and Alicia, from what I understand, um, digital infrastructure projects in particular um, are generally always complex. Um, uh, however, that's not my, uh, my expertise. So what are your views on some of the considerations that decision makers, particularly in financial services, should have when they do contemplate who should we be engaging potentially externally to consult with us on these important investment decisions? It's a really good question. And look, Complex problems are always best solved with diverse teams. And, you know, when you're putting a diverse team together, you want to have the best capability. And we talked about that earlier. That's You don't find that in one place anymore. And so you need to look broadly for not only the best capability, but the widest range of capability that can get you the best solution. So when I'm looking at investments, I'm looking for really diverse thinking that's gone into the solution and a team that gets that complex endeavors never have one solution. There's never only one answer to that problem. And so again, it comes down to optionality. If they haven't really explored and used data to drive those decisions around the options, what's available, what's best for us right now, uh, and whether that's build, buy, partner, or, or some other variation, then I'm not interested. I, what I want to see is that that process having um, been gone through. And of course, you know, it, it's around speed, it's around security, it's around uh, the capability of the team members, it's around the commerciality. Um, and Luke, you talked about it earlier, sometimes organisations are looking to unlock capital to be able to deliver more to their customers. Every organisation's at a different uh, point in the cycle. And so every time a complex problem comes up, you're going to have a different set of pros and cons. You can have different rights and wrongs in the options that are on the table. And I think the, the more options you explore, the better chance you have of, of creating something good. I love that you reference that everyone's at a different point in the cycle. Um, and that leads well into a conversation for you, David, 
Are there any trends you're noticing in terms of what decision makers, whether it's technology and or business, um, come to Next DC to talk about, given that they are likely all at different points in the cycle, to use Alicia's words? Look, first and foremost, I think uh, every organisation we speak to that has an asset where data is residing is looking to decommission that asset and un unlock that value. It might be a small data centre or it might be, you know, a massive property. Uh, simply put, unless they're in the business of sharing that capability, because we're in the sharing economy at the consumer level and at the business level, you know, whether it's a bank, an airline, they have typically got high amounts of capital stuck in a building and that was built for requirements 20 years ago. As, you know, requirements have gotten larger, densities you know, assisted, so they don't need that capacity anymore. Uh, then we're seeing that concept we spoke about earlier, specialty firms really you know, driving engagement and value, and we're certainly seeing uh, that is enabling a more rapid deployment of programs, projects, ideas. Um, another key area that we're seeing as a trend really um, becoming a very large conversation is the edge. And it means a lot of different things for a lot of people. But for us, we tend to think of it as really just trying to get better service to eyeballs, customers, whether that's through mobility or other digital services. And simply put, in Australia, the country is so large that you actually can't deliver the same set of capabilities in CBD Melbourne to the Pilbara. And that's the reality of life. And turns out that the Pilbara is actually a very, very large area for business. So we're seeing the edge emerge as a big opportunity. Uh, latency will prevent bringing, if you will, centralised data and centralised services. So we, we see that as a big opportunity. And then finally, um, sort of in, in line with that, as we see connectivity uh, be innovated. And what I mean by that is faster connectivity, intra data center, intra building across the country. It's driving higher adoption of services, cloud, on-prem, hybrid cloud, SaaS, anything as a service. Ultimately, the highway, the secure, sorry, the highway and the bandwidth and the connectivity is actually what's going to fuel a lot of those new opportunities. So exciting times ahead. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I, I love the reference to specialisation. Luke, do you have any thoughts you want to share quickly on, on that conversation around this sort of growth in specialisation of, of providers, if you like? No, look, I think David covered it well. I, you know, I will say, I think, um, you know, this whole concept of why do it yourself was sort of like, we, we as David said, we give it to one provider and we let them do the lot. And, and that sort of ne never really worked in the way that it was promised. And we started to realise that, you know, um, you need speciality. And um, I think, you know, that that is really important uh, in this conversation, particularly when you think about, uh, you know, w when I hear people say cloud, you know, I think they still think that, um, you know, there's a data centre somewhere up there uh, that, you know, is in the cloud. And, and I've had business people sort of allude that to me and, no, it's not. You know, there's a server somewhere and you've got to connect to it. And, you know, when you connect to it, um, it's got to have a, a bandwidth that enables you to do the things you want to do. And this is really quite a critical part of digital infrastructure. So 
you know, I've seen organisations who've been on a really big cloud push but did nothing about their telecommunications network. And then next thing you know, it doesn't work. They don't know where their data is. They don't know what country it resides in. Uh, and, and therefore, it causes all types of problem, problems with board members who say, well, how did we get that so wrong? But, you know, to David's point, getting speciality involved, particularly around digital infrastructure and connectivity, can do wonders for the organisation and allow you to compete and win in what is a, a very agile, competitive market for customers. It does remind me of um, the story our CEO tells, which is when the company was founded pretty early days, they went and trademarked our company tagline, which is next DC, where the cloud lives. So um, to your point, we know where the cloud lives. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we've debunked that because, um, you know, I think potentially there were some people that were still wondering whether or not it is actually sort of like a cloud sitting over our heads. Um, I'm mindful of time and we have a lot of questions coming in from the audience um, and we won't be able to get to all of them during this panel discussion. For, so for those of you who don't get your question answered, we will be in touch with you directly. Um, Alicia, we've got a question coming in for you. Uh, what are your views on the next generation coming through and how much are millennials influencing the changes and opportunities for financial services? I wish I had got that question. Look, there's lots of talk of, of millennials and how they're changing the way we think. I think the greatest change of any generation coming into the workforce is they challenge our old ways of thinking. And I think every generation has done that to the generation before. And so I definitely feel it with millennials coming into our business asking why do you do it that way? That's dumb. Um, and they'll, they'll phrase it that way, which is quite confronting um, on some days. But I think it's, it's the freshness that you get with generational change, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and so for me, someone younger asking me, why am I doing something dumb? There's a better way of doing it is, is exactly the kind of question I want to have in our business. Yeah, that's brilliant. Luke, your turn. Oh, look, I, I think millennials play an, a really important role. Uh, what, what, what I think is that um, it takes a mixture of all types of instruments to make great music. So you don't want all trombones. You don't want all baby boomers. You want a mixture of all the different instrumentation to let you know how to engage with each of those consumer groups. And, you know, when you think about launching new products and services, you really want to get an idea about what everyone wants and how, uh, you know, you may need to pivot and change things particularly for sub-segments of your marketplace. So I think they've got a really important role to play both as employees and as uh, consumers. Yeah, I love that. Um, David, we've got a question for you. There is mention of risk and compliance being easier via these types of outsourcing relationships. Can you share an example of how? And I suspect there may be a bit of a presumption that if you open up your environment, you're exposed to greater risk. It's interesting. Um, when we talk to financial services organisations and other segments about compliance and risk, um, what's quite interesting is we're thinking about risk before we've even found a new site. So we find a new site, we do a risk program, we then do a design, we have engineering and compliance and security, look at that design, we build it to, say, SCEC, XYZ, we then have our own sort of certification for SOC 1, SOC 2, ISO 14,000, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you think about it, 
the overarching focus that an organization like Next DC might have is already at the design, engineer, and build level. Then all of a sudden, if we partner with a financial services company to leverage our platform for co-location services, they're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Our table stakes conversation is going to be, we are looking at all the things that you're looking at every day. We have a team of people doing that. So when you're doing your quarterly audits, we're doing them actually together. We're actually facilitating that. And something we've been throwing around as a service is um, compliance or audit as a service, because if we're living and breathing in the environment, we can actually not just monetize that, but actually do it faster, cheaper, and sometimes better. But doing it in combination is, is the way to go. And I think we're seeing that today where companies come in, use our facility to conduct their audits and actually lean into the infrastructure that's housed in our facilities. So it's actually working today. Yeah, I think, I think the word combination leads really well into the next question, which I might throw to you, Alicia, because it's about complex projects. Are you noticing any trends when it comes to investment decisions about complex digital infrastructure? Look, I think it's about um, data-driven decisions these days. Uh, when we first started doing um, large digital transformations um, a number of years ago, they were all new and really um, Greenfield's territory for everybody. A few years on, um, there's a number of sort of lived experiences. We have data on what works and what doesn't, and we can start bringing that in to our digital transformation um, decisions, which we weren't able to do a few years ago, which I'm finding, you'll probably see a trend in my comments here, I happen to really like data-driven decision-making. Um, and so for me, it just provides another layer on how to better deliver and how to manage our risks. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote I heard not long ago, which is data has a better idea. So I think that certainly sits well with what you're saying. Luke, did you want to share any thoughts um, from a, whether it's a leadership perspective, technology perspective around uh, optimising investments? Yeah, look, I think um, when it comes to optimising investments, I think financial uh, services organisations, big, small or other, they need to uh, really think about how they getting in you know, business people I'm encouraging you to understand what's going on in the factory and not just the application side, but the infrastructure side as well. And getting close to that factory means having conversations with people in those roles. I think, you know, moving those people uh, out of sort of those backroom dark corners of the organization, don't mean to say everyone's in them, but, you know, pulling them forward and saying, what can we talk about about digital infrastructure and it's important to our organization moving forward and how does it play a role? And really having those uh, close to the factory conversations, because I think this is going to become more and more critical as things need to be more and more secure. That's never going to go away. As we have more and more compliance, we've had this Royal Commission, we're still finding out what people want us to do. So this becomes more and more relevant. And data, you know, I think we've talked about it, Alicia saying data-driven decisions. Data's a new oil. You know, this is rare and, and it's, we need the, particularly the good parts the gold gems, as I call them, um, we need to be able to make sure that those things are protected and protected well, and we've got access to them where we want. I, I think, you know, one of the other points David made, which just to touch on in this conversation is, you know, partnerships are, are really critical too. And when you think about having a partner uh, in the same data centre as you, uh, where you're going to market together, uh, you know, where you don't have to have, you know, two different locations in two different buildings that are not going to really work and connect, 
I think this is really important. So campaigns and projects that you might be doing with a partner, you may say, well, let's share. Let's go and do something together. Um, you know, let's plan this out strategically. If we're going to grow this together, how are we going to be co-located so we can use and share a common um, infrastructure connectivity? I think that's another important part of it as well. Yeah, it's certainly exciting. And I'm mindful of time, but I want to address one last question from the audience before we wrap up. Um, let's go to you, David. Um, but then, Alicia, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this question as well. How do you see the regulatory landscape with respect to new players in markets such as buy now, pay later? It's probably a whole panel discussion in itself. I, look, in, in, in a way, I'm fascinated by that space as a consumer uh, and I think we're just getting started. But I think from a regular, regulatory landscape perspective, it's going to have to get more regulated, in my opinion. And that is not because uh, we want to slow down the innovation or anything, just because, you know, just look at the history. When you start offering access to credit, and, and the reality is, you know, my phone is a credit card now. Um, what was a traditional... Uh, financial services provider of credit has changed. I, I might be getting credit, you know, from different you know, phone manufacturers and other technology providers. Uh, so it's important that we do have regulation and, and we do follow um, a, a way to make sure that it's not just an even playing field from a regulatory point of view, but that we don't get too far down the path where we've lost you know, consumers' confidence. We've lost the ability to get new innovation coming through with new services. But I also see a very, you know, fascinating scenario where I think ultimately the bigger banks have got the ability to test that space just as easy. And we're seeing that here in Australia. Um, they've got, you know, very deep customer relationships. So it's going to be an interesting space to watch, but I think it does need a, a constant view. And I think, you know, the government is trying to figure out, you know, remember this space is, is very new, but trying to figure out how to play the role there. And look, I may be a little bit behind on the news, but just yesterday, actually, um, I was reading about um, Apple. They're getting into the buy now, pay later space with Apple Pay Later. Uh, but Alicia, would love to hear your thoughts quickly if you've got any on the buy now, pay later space. Oh, look, the buy now, pay later space for me is, is very exciting in terms of the newness. But again, it, like all of the things that are new in our industry, it's, it's one of many new ideas that are coming through. And I think in terms of the regulator responses, it's about agility. We're all affected by trying to meet customers' needs where they're at today and this keep up with the pace of change of those needs. And it's not just uh, the, the banks, it's not just the fintechs, it's also the regulators. We're all learning how to meet this opportunity and the challenge together. Uh, and I think it's a really exciting time. Yeah, I'm certainly excited. Now, in closing, I'd love to hear from each of you quickly. Let's start with you, Luke. Um, your key takeaways for financial services organisations in particular seeking to um, achieve faster safely. I really like the um, point around specialised expertise. I think that's really key in this conversation. Uh, I think operational agility is really great. And obviously, I love uh, the consumer uh, being front of mind when you're having these thoughts about how you're going to you know, provide them the product and services that they want. David? Oh, look, uh, digital transformation is not going to happen. We're, we're, we're in the 
tornado. Every organization is transforming digitally and, um, you know, that's just going to continue to be an exciting time. Compliance and regulation continues to be top of mind. That shouldn't be an inhibitor for innovation and growth and customer experience. And I think the smarter organizations are really uh, getting that. And the reality is there is a true hybrid cloud opportunity. And certainly it's not, it's not slowing down the adoption of hybrid cloud because um, there are opportunities out there. It, it, it's growing very fast. And we're seeing companies you know, move at a more rapid rate than we have in the past. Alicia? Look, for me, it's all about bringing an and, not an or mindset when designing solutions. The best solutions um, find a way to leverage the strongest capability, which might not always be in one place. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you very much, Alicia Aiken, David Gential, Luke Stowe for joining us on this discussion. Um, and thank you very much to our audience for joining us today as well. I trust you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Uh, and we'll certainly be in touch with you as to how you can uh, further engage with our panellists um, and next DC if you wish to. And we look forward to seeing you on the next segment of The Reboot Show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sally. Thank Thanks, you. Sally.